Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. Here's your headline. The nation's top general was set up. He was the victim of a classic political hit job, and we know it. You were told by political malefactors and by media, including me, that a new book would reveal no less than the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, directly contacted a hostile foreign nation, China, to calm fears about Trump. Treason, cried the righteous senators on the right. He does need to resign. He needs to resign, and if he won't resign, he needs to be fired. If it happened, he should be immediately relieved of his duties and court-martialed. This is a constitutional violation. It's a violation of his oath to the Constitution, but it also is treacherous. Because he went outside. He did it alone. He was on his own. He went rogue. And it was all a lie. The next day, we learned General Milley had told people, had done it the right way, had other people in the room had sent out different briefings on it to the intel community. And people like me reported that to you, but the Trumpers and the opportunists never relented. Milley, first in statements, then himself, and now today, told the reality. Secretary of Defense Esper knew at the time, acting Secretary of Defense Miller after him, was told. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows told Secretary of State Pompeo, told Milley confirmed all of it at a Senate hearing. Yet nobody, none of those people said anything when he was being attacked. Here was Milley today. The calls on 30 October and 8 January were coordinated before and after with Secretary Esper and Acting Secretary Miller's staffs and the interagency. I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese. And it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. My task at that time was to de-escalate. At Secretary of Defense Esper's direction, I made a call to General Lee on 30 October. Eight people sat in that call with me. Shortly after my call ended with General Lee, I personally informed both Secretary of State Pompeo and White House Chief of Staff Meadows about the call, among other topics. So now we have two problems. Why didn't Hawley apologize to Milley at the Senate Armed Services Committee hearing? He was there. He had it wrong. He called for the guy. He said it was treason. He said he had to resign. Why didn't they call Secretary of State Pompeo, Secretary Esper, Chief of Staff Meadows and Miller? Don't they want to know why these guys didn't reveal that they knew? They were closer to the president 
than Milley. And does anybody really believe that these senators had no idea in the incestuous Trumpy world that these other guys didn't know what Milley was doing? They hadn't been told after they started making accusations. You don't think anybody clued them in? Instead, they just jumped to conclusions, dragged Milley through the mud, knowing that he followed protocol. And Secretary of State Pompeo, he was even worse. He was told directly by Milley, says the general, and then pretended he didn't know anything. Listen. Unconstitutional, incomprehensible, and completely out of line. For any military leader, this would be dangerous and uh, an usurpation of authority. You need to get to the bottom of this just as quickly as possible. If General Milley called and said, told the Chinese Communist Party, I promise you, uh, I'll give you a holler before we attack. This is something that is deeply inconsistent with his responsibility. What about your responsibility, sir? And don't, please, oh, Pompeo's a stupid trumper. No, he isn't. Top of his class at West Point. Everybody who's been around him talks about his intelligence. It's like people calling Senator Ted Cruz dumb. He's not dumb. The guy's a legal genius. Senator Hawley, it was a Supreme Court clerk. These are smart people. They're intelligent. They're educated. They're making political calculations. Pompeo had to know that he knew that everything he just said there and so much more was wrong. The only thing that makes sense is he wanted to see the Joint Chiefs chairman go down. Doesn't he need to account for his complicity? He knew Milley was being set up and said nothing. Give me a good reason. A good reason to bash Milley when you knew he did not deserve to be bashed. Now, Milley also addressed two other big items. One is his, it's a corollary to this first part, which is his conversation with House Speaker Pelosi after January 6th, when she feared Trump would launch a nuclear war. Pelosi made no secret then or now that she thought Trump was mentally unstable and narcissistic to the point of doing anything in his own self-interest. Milley said he immediately informed acting Defense Secretary Miller about the conversation and at no time was attempting to usurp authority or insert himself into the chain of command, and also submitted memos with all the background information. Now, if Miller says that's not true, where is he? If the memos don't exist, where is that? And yet nobody at that hearing was going to tell Milley anything about, okay, you did the right thing. That's the problem with our politics right there. The other big reveal from Milley came about the Afghanistan exit. He confirmed the military wanted to keep 2,500 or so on the ground to keep intel flowing. Now, why is this important? Well, one, because it didn't happen and it's going to make a difference in the state of our national security. Everybody who knows what they're talking about worries about exactly that. Second, President Biden said he was never told that. Then he added, to his recollection. Milley also had an interesting epitaph for the exit. Listen. I think one of the other senators said it very well. It was a logistical success, but a strategic failure. What does that mean? A logistical success and a strategic failure. 
logistical success because of the amazing evacuation effort. Now, why did you need to make that amazing effort? Because of how you exited and how you read the situation wrong. And strategically leaving without having any body on the ground to let us know what's happening, it's tough to justify that. So, two big questions. Why did the right set Millie up and what should be done? And what is the final word on what the withdrawal from Afghanistan will mean to you here at home? We have a man who knows the terrain in Afghanistan and knows the players and political terrain of this hit on Millie. Former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton, author of The Room, Where It Happened. Welcome back, sir. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, First, you were on TV right after the election warning about the same types of things that Millie uh, was worried about. Uh, Tell us, why were you concerned? Well, I think uh, it had become increasingly clear that uh, Trump was so uh, fascinated with this notion that he was spinning, that the election had been stolen, that uh, there were things that he would do we probably, none of us would have predicted, but uh, in an effort to try and reverse the election. Now, I'm not saying I foresaw anything like Mm -hmm. what happened, but I think people were nervous. And I think Milley and others were properly nervous too. It's been reported that he and Mark Meadows and Mike Pompeo began holding morning calls Mm -hmm. uh, for what was called the landing the plane exercise. Now, that may have been uh, one of those situations that you, that you mentioned a moment ago that, that where Milley said he spoke with Meadows and Pompeo. I don't know, but I am sure he was in regular contact with them. And I think that was uh, simply a very prudent thing to do. After hearing his testimony and the reporting surrounded, do you have any question as to whether or not he followed the proper protocols and brought people into the loop and what he was doing on those calls and otherwise? Well, if somebody has different evidence, let them bring it forward. I haven't heard anything from anybody who knows how this works at that level. And there are a lot of people talking about it who obviously don't have the slightest idea how it works. I haven't heard anybody say anything to the contrary of what Millie said today. And one key point, it was mentioned apparently in Woodward and Costa's book. I haven't read it, but I've read the press reports. And Millie himself today said it that he was motivated, and Mark Esper, then Secretary of Defense, motivated by intelligence reports that the Chinese leadership worried that in this kind of chaotic environment they saw, they might be subject to a wag the dog style attack. Now, Esper and Milley both concluded absolutely correctly that if the Chinese leadership uh, is in that kind of uh, mood, they could make a miscalculation. They, they could also believe that we were in disarray and they might seek to take advantage of it. So the notion that through a number of different uh, uh, levels that, uh, that the U.S. government would communicate to China, don't misread the situation, we're going right. to make it through it, there's no hostile intent here, take it easy, uh, it would have been a dereliction of duty not to have made those calls. Two more points. Um, one, I don't know how Milley and Pompeo, not Milley, how Meadows and Pompeo knew what Milley was doing and guys like Cruz and Rubio didn't know that. You know how close all these players are. You were there. And for them to sit quiet, especially Secretary of State Pompeo, when he was told directly, according to General Milley, and say, oh, this looks bad, this looks bad, don't you see that as shameful of him? 
Yeah, look, uh, in situations where we've uh, made a decision that you're going to have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs call to his counterpart, and I participated in several of those, you discuss it among the principals of the NSC informally, phone calls and whatnot, and there's generally agreement and it goes ahead. So I find it very hard to believe uh, that uh, Pompeo, Meadows, perhaps others, Gina Haspel, the a director of the CIA, the director of national intelligence, wouldn't have known about it and concurred with it. So I was stunned uh, uh, a, a few days ago to, to hear this uh, interview by Mike Pompeo that you just played because uh, Pompeo had to be reading the right. same intelligence as Milley. And Milley about told the Chinese him, leadership. shouldn't I, Pompeo, shouldn't yeah. Meadows, shouldn't um, Miller and Esper be put in that same position as Milley today and say, why didn't you tell us when you heard us making the accusations? Why didn't you tell us that you knew that he had done this? And why was it OK for you? Because if it was wrong for Milley to do it, it would have been wrong for them as well in different ways. Shouldn't that be done now? Well, I think I think we know why they haven't said it. There are political ambitions at stake here. Pompeo's running for president, and I think that's pretty clear. But what about he the senators? Support. Rubio, Cruz, Hawley. How can you have these questions for Milley and not have them for the people that he told, who you now know didn't let you know that they knew? Yeah, may I just say, I'm not sure Pompeo would have communicated to those people or Mark Meadows. Uh, that that Milley was calling the Chinese or anything like that because it was so standard operating procedures, so regular orders, so by the book, it wasn't a big deal. And yet Pompeo pretends that it would have been wrong. A book. And it's got to be investigated. I mean, look, there's a. It's really obvious that this was a hit on Milley, and I really have to believe that yeah. if there's going look, to be an integrity, John, you got to call it straight, and those guys have to answer questions now that they wanted to see Milley answer. Yeah, look, in, in politics in Washington, we know there's there's uh, ample ambition. Everybody's got it. Nobody can deny it. Hopefully there's principle, too. And principle ought to outweigh ambition. And when, in the case of an aspiring presidential candidate, ambition comes out on top of principle, that's bad news. Well, you're talking about Pompeo, and let's see how he answers for himself. John Bolton, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks right, for having turn, me. Absolutely. We turn from the chaos of the Trump White House. And I got to tell you, look, politics is dirty. John Bolton is right. Uh, ambition can often come first. But I, look, this time in our life is going to be remembered. All right. Politicians are loose with the truth. Not like Trump and his crew. People play dirty. Not like what you're seeing right now with Millie. Okay. They had to know or had reason to know that they were chasing him for going rogue when they had reason to know at least that he didn't go rogue. And you're going to have a guy who was a sitting secretary of state say, oh, yeah, this is bad. You got to look at it. Think about what that means. The arrogance that he had to know it was going to come out that he was told. And he played Millie that way anyway. That's who we are now. The Trump White House is one thing. President Biden is now there and he's got problems, especially with his economic agenda. Afghanistan is in the rear of a mirror. That's not going to decide the midterms. What's happening right now may, and his party has problems. We have a progressive here to tell us why 
there are these problems and why. You look at him, he looks like a very clean-cut guy. But he said he is a hard effing no on going along with Pelosi's plan to put infrastructure first. Why does a guy who looks like he should be clapping erasers say something that hard about the state of play? Let's find out why next. The president canceled his trip to Chicago tomorrow because he has to get his party on the same page with his economic agenda. It is in jeopardy. This isn't just about robust debate. His race is against the clock as well. He's got meetings with Senators Manchin and Cinema, but on the House side, there is almost as much Michigas. You got Speaker Pelosi making a decision to press on with Thursday's vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill as a standalone. Now, Pelosi is tough and smart and good at this. And yet today she was under fire from liberals for delinking the bill from that larger reconciliation, social safety net, build back better spending plan. My next guest, Democratic Congressman Jared Huffman of California, says he is a hard effing no. And I keep repeating it because the media loves salacious things and he used the F word. So we're saying it because he doesn't want to vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill alone. Let's discuss. First of all, all respect, Congressman. Uh, I'm just playing with you about being clean cut and looking good. Um, I mean, no disrespect. I would like to game out this situation. Let you and I uh, be like the Manning brothers on Monday Night Football, who I believe are the biggest gift to that sport and to us since John Madden, uh, and kind of diagnose what's going on from two people who understand the game. If you don't vote for the standalone infrastructure bill, What do you gain and what do you lose? First, Chris, it's great to be with you. And uh, let me just say, with regard to my word choice, uh, I didn't actually use the F-bomb, but look, saying the word effing, you're a New Yorker, so that's like please and thank you. I knew you would understand. Um, In terms of what do we gain and what do we lose, it's all about leverage. It's really important for people to understand, if we pass that Senate bill on Thursday, it's done. It goes to the president. It becomes law. We give up an enormous amount of leverage. And why is that leverage important? Because we need both parts of the deal that was always the deal. Okay, it so wait, always- hold on. So, so Congressman, fair point. Yeah. But let's just take a look at that point. The, you're, you're making it sound like opportunity lost. However, you would deliver the largest infrastructure bill we have seen in a generation, which would be one more big achievement than President Biden has thus far. So even if the spending bill went away, and I don't think there's any good chance of that right now, it's about how much and when, that would be a huge win for Biden. Thankfully, our choice is not between that Senate bill and nothing. The choice is between uh, the full package and you know, something that needs to be negotiated. So it's just not that simple, Chris. And the truth is, if we wanted to talk about the details of that Senate bill, uh, yeah, we have neglected infrastructure for several decades. And there are some good things, the broadband investment in particular in that Senate bill. But we may be missing our last best chance to do something on the climate crisis. And that Senate bill is not only lacking, it would take us backwards. It's fossil fuel business as usual. So we've got to have the other half of the deal to make this package climate positive. You need the spending bill to balance out the deficiencies in the infrastructure bill. Now, that is a novel argument. 
um, Congressman Huffman. I haven't heard that. What I've heard from the progressive slash whatever left liberal, I don't know what we call anybody these days, but is, oh, no, 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 no. We promised the people we were going to do these things. We finally have the numbers. They're all popular. We want all of it. Not that it had to be done to make anything correct, but it's about advantage. Yeah, on on the social investments, that is absolutely right. But on the climate piece, we've always needed to go through budget reconciliation to get the things that we need to seriously confront the climate crisis. You can't do it with Senate Republicans. I wish you could, but if you want it to be bipartisan, uh, there are no Senate Republicans that will take bold action with you. How worried are you that if Thursday comes and you guys uh, flex and don't let Pelosi get it done, that it sends a message of weakness and inability to govern that may haunt you in the midterms? I think confronting that messaging challenge, and I agree there will be many in the media and elsewhere that will pronounce chaos and disarray and failure, but it's not. Uh, A Thursday no vote on the Senate infrastructure bill is not the end. Uh, It's maybe the end of the beginning. Uh, We've got more work to do to get both pieces of this ready for success, and we will set about doing that work. Nobody's given up. Nobody's walking away. The criticism is that you're hurting Biden. Um, You're making it look like he doesn't control his own party. Uh, Something is better than nothing. Uh, Perfection should not be the enemy of progress. If you guys got a $1 trillion spending bill instead of three and a half, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, you would still be way ahead of the game. Trump's big achievement that wasn't about dividing the country was about a tax cut that people didn't even like that wasn't even paid for. And it still wound up redounding to his benefit with his base. This would be way more than that. And you may be jeopardizing it. But again, Chris, we don't have to settle for just any old something. We can do a lot better than that. The deal that came to us from the president, that came out of the Senate to the House, was for a lot more than just that one piece. So when folks suggest that we should decouple them, um, dozens of my colleagues and I feel very strongly, no, that's a terrible idea. We need the original deal. And if we have to vote no on a vote Thursday that we think is counterproductive and shouldn't even happen, we'll do that. But we'll also roll up our sleeves and get to work to try to get this done. Two more quick things. Uh, One. How do you get a cinema and a mansion to the table uh, with this? I don't know Senator Cinema's posture as well as we know mansions, but threatening him does not seem to be working well. Uh, what's your take? You know, I don't want to threaten him either. Um, I think we're going to lean heavily on the president uh, to try to, to deliver those two senators in particular. I do think, though, we're at a point where it's long past time to just talk in generalities about I don't like this number or I'm not quite there. They've got to show their cards and we're going to need the president to lean in and get them to show their cards so we can get this done. Just quickly, do you think there's any chance that you guys pass nothing? No, I think we will land this plane, Chris, and uh, we're going to have plenty of critics and plenty of people wanting to declare failure, but uh, we're going to get there. I'm not here to hate. I want to understand um, because... This matters what you guys are doing. Congressman Jared Huffman, appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me. Please come back and let me know the state of play. Will do. Be well. Thanks. Um, One point of exception. You know, New Yorkers are not like this (laughs) symbol of crassness and crudeness all the time. Plenty of people use bad language. We didn't create it and we don't own it. Now, we heard from the family of Gabby Petito today. 
All right. They had a memorial this weekend that really made you realize what family is about, what loss is about and how desperate they are to make something purposeful out of their pain. Right now, they have turned focus and they want the fiance to turn himself into the FBI. What about the fiance's family? What do we know? What questions much must be asked? There is new information that is helping understand where the family was, when, and then leads to the big question, why? Next. The laundries did not help us find Gabby. They're sure is not going to help us find Brian. For Brian, we're asking you to turn yourself in to the FBI or the nearest law enforcement agency. It's the latest plea. Uh, from Gabby Petito's family to her former fiance in their search for answers. But you do have to wonder how much of that is a message to the fiance's family. It comes as we're learning new details about Brian's whereabouts in the days after he returned to Florida uh, without her. Why does that matter? Well, it doesn't matter in terms of the potential commission of a crime, but it does go to consciousness of guilt And it does go to what those around him may have known or even done. A county official tells us he and his family actually stayed at a campground together about 75 miles away, about an hour from their Northport home between September 6th through the 8th. Camping is what this family does. So this was not a one-off. The laundry family attorney confirms to CNN that they were there on the 6th and the 7th, but that the family left the campground together. Now, I know there's a lot of speculation about the campground and this and that. I I think it's a red herring. I I don't think it's what's relevant here. I think the state of mind discussion is what matters. Uh, Did they return home together? That is a question. I think we know the answer. The account is raising more questions, though, as officials seem to be at an impasse on the search. Two weeks is a long time to evade authorities. We now know that Laundry's parents have consistently maintained they don't know where he is. Now, have they offered to help? Is that a fair question? Let's bring in Joey Jackson. Let's start with, uh, look, it is not the Petito family's job uh, to investigate, to find this guy. They're doing this because they're in pain. And two weeks, Joey, is a long time. Yeah, it is. Uh, Chris, first, as to the grace of the family, as to the humanity of the family during that press conference, Uh, giving their thanks to the FBI, all of law enforcement for coming together and dedicating the resources to their child, being so humane, Chris, that they're talking about other missing people. We know that it's a problem in this country. Over 550,000 people went missing last year, 600,000 the year before. And think about it at a moment like that, to not make it all about you, but to think about what Gabby's life meant and how you can make life better for others. And I thought it was very compelling, the press conference we saw. As to the activities involving the laundry family, I think you nailed it. It goes to the issue of consciousness of guilt. Is this what you do? Your son comes home and, you know, he comes home after he's traveled around the country with his fiance, the one he loves, the one he's supposed to protect, the one he's supposed to be with, the one he's supposed to give his life for. He comes home without her. And what you do is you release a statement today indicating your concern, indicating your hopes 
But would you not have expressed that concern more appropriately if you went to the authorities, if you spoke to the authorities, if you gave the authorities information, if instead of going camping, you conferred with Gabby Petito's family as to her whereabouts or where she potentially could be? So as to what you noted at the outset of this, this all goes to that issue of, you know what, you, you know you didn't do it because maybe you had something to do with it. That's what we call consciousness of guilt, very problematic and very troubling. And that I raise that issue because that's what prosecutors will be using moving forward to establish, you know what, this just does not comport with how a person would or should act under similar circumstances. Well, two things. One, how much cover does the, my attorney told me not to talk, give them. And two, what exposure would the family have? So as to one, look, to be clear, and I always tell clients, don't speak to anyone. I, I've expressed that and I'll continue to express that. I know what I said. I don't know what you heard. Right. So when you speak, you get yourself into issues. I get that. That's one thing. But on the other, then why are you releasing a statement talking about how concerned you are and how, you know, you wish the best and you wish the FBI does a job? Well, maybe you can express that wish by activity, by doing something, by communicating with the family, by communicating with the FBI. Don't be disingenuous in releasing a statement with respect to your hopes and wishes if you're not going to back that up with activity. And that's my beef as to the statement that they released. Yeah, I agree with you, except in terms of timing. Now, all they can do is put out the statement because this is about PR because they're getting killed. Um, the time to help was in the beginning. If they knew anything, uh, it was about reaching out to the Petito family. It was about going to authorities. It would have been then. I don't know what they can do to help now. You know, if they haven't heard from the kid and the kid didn't leave his, left his cell phone and all that other stuff, I don't know what they know about investigating that park that the uh, experts wouldn't know. But what they did in the beginning and did not do, I think will come back to be a big part of this story. Joey Jackson, I'll be doing that story with you. Thank you, brother, for helping the audience. You're always a plus. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. All right. There's another new tell-all book out on the Trump White House. Ooh, I roll. No, I think there's something instructive in it. It was written by the only Trump press secretary to never hold a briefing, Stephanie Grisham. Now, you know, I don't think that she's got to get so much credibility about those things because I don't know that she was such a great press secretary, but she was there. And she may have helped clear up a big mystery on that Trump hospital visit. You remember? They didn't want us to know about it. They were given all these typical Trumpery uh, about it. I think we got the answer now, and I think it matters. Next. Most of the time, I don't care why Trumpers lie by omission or commission. But we learned something tonight uh, that I think is instructive of a point that should matter to leaders going forward. President Trump made this sudden visit to Walter Reed Medical Center in 2019, and it spooked us all because they wouldn't tell us. You may recall the moment sparked all this speculation on the state of his health. He was 73, clinically obese, heart disease, and the administration would say that they couldn't say. It was routine, planned, interim check. And there was nothing about it that suggested that this was nothing. Trump himself claimed he went there first and foremost to visit a great family of a young man under major surgery and that it was for phase one of his yearly physical. And he is just not to be believed. So now Stephanie Grisham, Trump's former press secretary, who notably never met with the press. And we got to keep saying that because she was somewhat symbolic of how lousy they did the job there. 
But she does have details in this new book titled, I'll Take Your Questions Now, which is ironic, right? In the book, Grisham heavily implies that Trump's trip was for a routine colonoscopy. So what? That's your big deal? The guy went from a colonoscopy and that's a secret you had to know? She doesn't use the term itself. She describes what he underwent as a very common procedure during which a patient is put under. She also notes Bush 43 got the same one while in office. Now, so that lets you know it was a colonoscopy because Bush 43 told us. Why this secrecy? Grisham claims Trump didn't want Pence to be in power while he was sedated, nor did he want to be, quote, the butt, pun intended, of a joke on late night TV. The result? Was it a health emergency or did he need to get a marble removed from his nose again? We don't know. (laughs) Grisham went on emphasizing that Trump is as healthy as can be. Okay. But how healthy can be be? He is a 73-year-old insomniac who eats nothing but fast food who is afraid to go downstairs. Now, they weren't the best jokes. But the point was, either way, he was going to be fodder for late night. Here's why it matters. It is a window into how our former president did not see helping you as important. Why do we want our leaders to say when they get things that you may see as embarrassing, getting a colonoscopy or prostate check or whatever it is, if you're a man or if you're a woman, whatever. Because when he is open about it, he makes it easier for others to be open and get it done. Imagine how much good could have been done if he had been open about getting what can be a life-saving procedure. Because so many people have a stigma of it, like he does. Colon cancer is the number three leading cause of cancer-related death in the United States. And you know what the worst part is? It's also one of the most preventable. You know who knew that? His predecessor. As you know, I've been uh, recommending that Americans... uh, um, take precautionary measures for their health and that uh, people should uh, be screened on a regular basis, particularly those of us over 50. And tomorrow I'm going to have a colonoscopy at Camp David. It is the third such procedure I've had. Some could say every day as president is a colonoscopy. But look, he was willing to put it out there so it might make people more comfortable to do it themselves. Trump's unwillingness to be transparent and promote public health in that moment would go on to be a major theme throughout the pandemic. The man never put you first. He always took care of himself. He fed animus. He didn't dispel it. Remember, all the living past presidents joined up to promote the vaccine and say everything that he wouldn't, even though he bragged about bringing the vaccine and said it was the magical panacea. Now it's his supporters who are disproportionately paying the price. Now, it's time to take up the fight, okay? The time has come. Social media is out of control, and it can be under control. Facebook is under fire. We can have freedom of speech. Having the right to speak doesn't make everything you say right. This network, every major media outlet, has to think about what it puts out there. Shouldn't Facebook and Instagram have to as well? Especially when it now looks like they're trying to profit off kids. Is that fair? And what can they do about it? We have a better mind who was once on the inside of Facebook. Next. 
New focus tonight on the impact Facebook has on our kids. The Wall Street Journal is out with the latest in a series of reports, this one looking at a project Facebook launched to target pre-teens, even exploring playdates as a way to get more kids using their apps. While Facebook claims it paused Instagram for kids, the reporting is the research went beyond that one app. Now, this comes as another report comes out from the journal showing Facebook has known for years the damage Instagram can do to the mental health of teens. The question is, will our kids finally be the line where we say it is time to police what you put out? I'm not saying you have to censor. I'm not saying that you ruin the First Amendment, but the rest of the media figures out how to do it. Why not you? Our next guest would know he was once a mentor to Mark Zuckerberg and an early investor in Facebook. He's also the author of Zucked. Roger McNamee, welcome to Primetime. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Two quick things, and I would like to um, pressure you on live television to come back because this is a much longer conversation than one segment. Uh, So two quick things. Uh, Give me your quick take on the reality of what they know about the susceptibility of kids to social media and what they are trying to do to make money off them. So, Chris, the problem here is that products like Facebook and Instagram gather data about us, not just on their platforms, but everywhere. Our location from cell phones, our medical tests and prescriptions, credit cards, app usage, web browsing, everything. And with kids, it starts in third or fourth grade with Microsoft's Minecraft or Roblox or Fortnite or TikTok or Instagram or cell phones or Google Chromebooks. And it never stops. And they use this data to predict and manipulate our behavior. So on Instagram, they do it with filters that make everyone else look beautiful. Mm. And to catch up, we have to buy stuff. That's the business model. That's how they make love. It's how they make money. It is not an accident. Any more than scams against seniors, scams against vets, anti-vax, or even the preparation of the insurrection were an accident. That is the business So, second point. Um, So they know the susceptibility of kids, and yet they market it anyway because it's profitable, which means that they know what is going out and what's being said. And we know that they know this because we've all had the phenomenon where you and I are talking about different type of tuna tackle, and all of a sudden we get ads. So they know. And if they know that, why is it too much to ask for them to take their technology and look for things that are misinformation and disinformation and become a more responsible purveyor of content. So, Chris, the actual solution to this problem has nothing to do with the First Amendment. I don't want to censor them in any way. I want to force changes in the business model. The way we force changes in the chemicals industry to end the the dumping of toxic chemicals anywhere, the way we did when we banned child labor or when we created the Food and Drug Administration to police the food supply and drug manufacturing. In this country, we have a long history of making industries safe and protecting consumers from harm. And that's what we have to do now. And that's both the job of Congress, but also the Justice Department and state's attorneys general, because we live in a wild west in Silicon Valley, really in the whole economy. And these monopolies behave like governments. They don't feel like our government is going to stop them. And it's not that they're criminal, but I don't think they know where the lines are and maybe they don't care. And the result is they've done a bunch of stuff that is clearly wrong. I mean, the Wall Street Journal had a story about human trafficking. That is clearly a violation of the law. Obviously, aiding and abetting an insurrection is against the law. Right. And we 
to prosecute these things, not because I want to put them in jail, but because they need to understand that we need business and they need to end this business model. If they do that, that will save democracy. That will help us end the pandemic and restore so, public health. It so let's protect our. So let's do this. Roger McNamee, come back and let's talk about what they could do. I got your word. You got it, pal. Done. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. Hand off. You know, people are going to say, oh, look, they want to censor on social media. No. Uh, And I know a lot of that comes from the right. You know who gets the most traffic on the right? You know who has the most penetration? You know who's the top of the list? Members of the right in the punditry class. So I don't know what they're complaining about. Don Lemon starts tonight, right now, with its big star, D. Lemon. Okay, so you know this one I'm, I'm fired up about. I've always been, I've always felt this way, that social media should be regulated. They should follow the same rules that we follow here in legacy media. They should, you shouldn't just be able to spread things about people that's not true. Um, so it has a big influence on someone's livelihood, their credibility, their career, even their, their lives. And so I think that it should, it should be regulated. I've always thought that. I don't think that I should be able just to go on Twitter or Facebook or um, Instagram and say whatever I want about Chris Cuomo, whether it's true or not. I don't believe that people should be able to do that or about anyone, even someone who is, doesn't like me. I don't believe that you should be able to do that. I don't believe that people should be able to. There's, I told you about there's a picture on social media of me and you, right, that people love to spread. And I don't, I don't, I don't bother with it anymore, but they have photoshopped Jeffrey Epstein's face over your body. And they spread it and they say, Don Lemon doesn't want people to see him with Jeffrey Epstein. It's not, and, and social media won't take it down. And it, it's, it, and it's, you know. So people, I think. People believe it's true. So they here's the word true. I disagree with. Um, regulated. Why? Because it sets you up for failure because it reads to people like, oh, they want the government to control everything. And it plays into all these political tropes. It should be at least true, Chris. Absolutely. No, no, I'm not talking about the nature of the content. I'm talking about the mechanism of change. Yeah. What I did was give them the benefit of the doubt that they built the stadium. Uh, They don't populate the inside the way we do. And we have different vetting. But I have evolved in my understanding because I now have a much better understanding of what they can know Mm -hmm. and how easily they can manipulate. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm bringing up the kids. You're milking kids for money because you can and what McNamee said, and that's why I'm going to do a regular, uh, a regular session with him about this until we get to a solution, is you know how to manipulate what's on and to control what's on and to curate what's on. So you can do this. Yep. And it is your business model. As he says, you can't make money off misinformation and disinformation. Mm-hmm. Human trafficking is an extreme example. Mm-hmm. And of course you can't do that because it's a federal felony. But there are a lot of things that are felonious that you're letting get by yeah. just because it works for your business model. Yeah. And the time has come for them. We have to flip it yeah. and show us that you can't do what you're being asked to do. The most egregious of it all, though, is what you said. It's the people who have the biggest platform on social media. And they're all righties. It's, they're all righties. They're all of them are righties. And listen, even in if you want to call it legacy media, even even you know, some of the conservative media, they do the same thing. They have no, um, no, they have no real protocol. They have no real structure in what they, they, can, they say what they want. They put headlines and things and write about things. They that, say it's opinion. Yeah, this but, is but, all opinion. But that most people, most people, we would never even put it on 
give it the light of day because that's because one, we you know have news accountability. That's, that's, that's the, the Fox that, farce. The uh, whole yeah, nighttime Fox lineup is social, entertainment. All right, but Fox and social they said they, then they shouldn't put news behind it. And social media should do the same thing. They should not just be able to put things out there and with, you know, and, because and they no know, consequences. you know, you and I talk about needing bigger lines for a boat. All of a sudden we're getting ads for all kinds of yeah. boat stuff. They <laughs> know what's being said. Yeah. So if you know what's being said and you find ways to profit off it, then you have to police it. And I know how, what kind of journalist is going to say they want a censorship. It's not it's what not we're talking about. If you censorship. can't say it here, you shouldn't be able to say it there. Amen. That's the point. I and the time agree. has come and it's got to be pushed. I agree. Yellow journalism. For the ones who claim to be journalists. The others just innuendo. It's like going out. Uh, social media is like just going out in the middle of the street and screaming opinions. It's basically what it is. So, you know. It you is, know except it gets, instead of just in the middle of the street, it gets delivered to everybody. Around the world. In their mailbox. Yeah. And you can see it, and you Very see it without point. any context. Yeah. I love you, D. Lemon. Love you more. I got a lot to talk about, because we are running out of time in many, many ways, Chris. Make your I'll witness. Talk to you about it. All right, sir, I'll see you soon. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.